Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. My name is Jeff, and I am one of the leaders here at the church. It's so great to see all of you. If you're visiting with us, thanks for coming, man. We know there's like 100 other things you could do, right? Maybe 200 other things you could do, but you chose to come here. We're so grateful that you've come. Uh, one of the things that we love to do every week here at the church uh, is study our Bibles. You know, we sing songs to Jesus. We declare his lordship over our lives, and we study our Bibles to help um, solidify that understanding in our lives. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to continue working through the book of First Peter. First Peter. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's all good. We have hardback black Bibles underneath the seat close to you. You can use that Bible. And hear me, if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. It's yours. Write your name in crayon or whatever you want to do. Keep it, right? It's yours. We'll put more Bibles in those seats. And if you want to use one of those Bibles, you can just turn to page 1015, right? You're welcome. You got right there. You didn't have to know where Peter was or first Peter, any of that stuff. So you can do that. Now, as you turn there, I want to just talk a little bit about what I've already discussed there in that video announcement is about this demolition that's coming um, forward for our, our, our space. Um, I am, okay, Jeff, don't use hyperbole, but I can't help it. <laughs> I am more than excited to get started on this demolition. Right, Because I know this, that if we're going to make more space so that more people can come and hear the truth about Jesus, then we have to get out of this little room, right? Yay, thank you for being awake, all of you. I appreciate that. No, yeah, I feel like if we, if we could get the, the space moved to the second floor in the building next door, we can create a space that maybe has 500 seats, then you'll feel... Um, like you can invite your friends and your family along with you, and then you won't feel bad if they have to sit next to some stranger guy, looking at you, Billy, some stranger guy that you don't know, right? And you feel weird. Like we had a little more space to grow up. I think the church would feel a little more comfortable. And, and I'm, again, I'm real excited to get started, but I have to confess, um, I, I don't want to get started. I want to be done. I want, yeah, I want to be done with it. I'm over it. I'll be very frank. I'm going to just confess with you. That's what I do. I get up here and I confess everything to you. Thank you for being my therapist. But I, I've been after this thing for about six and a half, seven years. I'm over it. I'm over being crowded. I'm over trying to make overflow rooms everywhere else. I'm trying to, I'm sick of all of this stuff. I just want to get going on it and be done with it already. And, and I say that knowing that the Bible talks often about the characteristics of Christians, one of which being, guess what? Patience. I stopped being a Christian. I don't know how it happened. I have no more patience for all of this. <sighs> I struggle with it. But I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do in that new space. I'm looking forward to the people. I believe this. I believe God is sovereign over everything. We were singing that first song about his lordship in our lives, that he is still the king of this world. He's still the king of the universe. He's, he's in control of everything. And I just feel that more people um, 
need to come to church. More people need to come to Renaissance. More people need to experience Jesus in a way that they've never experienced him before. And because of that, I just can't wait. One of the things that I love about the opportunity to have more space is, is we'll get to gather um, and hang out with one another. One of the great things about downtown church is that after service at nine, you guys will spill out onto the sidewalks as the 1045 is coming in and you guys sort of cross paths. It's kind of great to see, right? Does anybody agree with me? Like, that's really fun to see those people who are coming in, those sleeper in people that come, right? Because you're the early birds because you're better than them. Let's be honest. <laughs> amen. I got an amen for that. All right. For the record, I said Jesus a whole lot. No amens on that, but I got an amen for early birds, right? Okay. I don't judge. Um, where was I? Anyways, so we get, to, we get to hang out on the sidewalk and see other people, but, but the sad reality is because our space is so small here, when, when winter weather hits, everyone just sort of bolts to their car and straight to Cracker Barrel or wherever else they've got, they've got settled to do in their day, and we don't get that time to hang out. So I guess one of the things, more than just more space for more people to come, but that we get to hang out and have community have relationship with other people. Um, and I say that coming from a place of, of an introvert. I'm, I'm gifted <laughs> with the, the gift of introvertedness. I'm a shy guy. I get it. Um, but there is something special about being with people that you don't, you don't really know what you have in common except for this one thing, that you're at church and you're worshiping Jesus together. It's just a, a lot of fun. Um, but as I was thinking about all of that, that we're going to have more space to hang out, more space to do cool stuff together. Um, uh, um, trepidation, uh, fear is maybe the wrong word, but concern arose in me. And I want to share that with you. One of the, the concerns that I have is that if we have more space to congregate together, that we'll start doing that in groups of people or pods of people who know each other. Are you listening to me? Okay, pods of people who know each other, and then um, it becomes almost cliquish. It feels very high school-esque, and which is fine. Everybody loved the jocks and the sporty guys or whatever, and the nerds at school and all that stuff. But I want you to, I want you to picture with me uh, what it's like for the visitor that comes every week. I want you to step, step outside of where you live in your reality of where, what group you're in. And you know you're in a group, right? You sit in the same spot. You, you talk to the same people every week. I love you. I love you. That's fine. I get that. But I want you to look at it from the vantage point of the visitor who comes in every week. That it's very, if it's very challenging for them to sort of assimilate into that space when there's no room for them in that, okay? Um, and I, I know that's a real concern for some of us. And we have to just continually to push back that we, that we look to the visitor really first, um, I know one of the primary reasons that God wanted us to start this church renaissance is that we could, we could create an environment where unchurched and maybe de-churched people who have never have really any affiliation with the church or maybe used to but no longer do would find their way back to church and feel welcome in it. And if we're, if we're kind of put into these little pods or groups or cliques or whatever, when the visitor comes in, it's just an off, off-putting moment. And, and can I be very frank with you? We already have an uphill battle with, um, with non-Christians. We already have the cards stacked against us with non-Christians. And um, I, I was reading a book here recent, recently, and, it, and they mentioned some research where they, they polled um, young non-Christians, of which I'm neither of those things, right? I'm an old Christian guy, but young non-Christians. And they said, when you, when you think of the church or when you think of Christianity, what are some of the words that pop into your mind? And 87, holy cow, 87% said that they view Christians as judgmental. 
And, and all of you Christians are nodding your head. <laughs> yes, we are sometimes. And they, they 85% said that they're hypocritical, right? They, they say one thing and yet act a different way. So I'm just here to say this, that, that we already have an, a challenge in front of us. We already struggle with the people outside the church looking at us like we're crazy and mean and, and hurtful. And we say uh, mean things and we walk around with our little clipboards checking off the sins in their lives and not even willing to look at our own life. Right. That's the perception that so many people have of us. But oh, my goodness, with with God and his great love and care for them as he sovereignly moves them to church and they they drive here, they get up early, they they shower. Thank you for that, by the way. They they come to church, they park and they walk. Walk in, and if there's no, no welcomeness here, why would they come back? If God is working so hard to get them here, can't we just go one step further with him and say, what's up, bro? How you doing? How you been? And I hate doing it. I'm introverted. I mentioned that. But know this. There's a switch that I flip to become this guy, to be the outspoken, loud pastor guy. And then I secretly slink back to my office, right? And just like be by myself for a while so I could recharge. Listen, God is challenging us to make room for more people, but we, we need more than just room. They need people to connect with. And, and I think this is, um, I think this popped up in my study this week because Peter, here we go, we're studying First Peter, <laughs> um, segue, that's a segue, professional, I do this for a living, just so you know. Um, I think that's what Peter starts to address here. For the last several weeks, we've been seeing him talk to Christians who are living in a non-Christian world, and he's telling them how to, to live with uh, uh, non-Christian bosses. He's telling them how to live with non-Christian governmental agencies and all this stuff, and that we, we suffer alongside those things sometimes. And when, in so doing, we sort, of, we sort of partner with Christ who also suffered and endured those things. And then he made it very personal last week where he talked about wives and husbands, specifically Christian wives married to non-Christian husbands and how challenging that can be. And yet in and in those things, we saw that, that God is using this sort of evangelistic or missional intention behind those relationships. I think we all would agree that it's crucial for the church to understand how the world perceives us and how God can use us to win those back to himself. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yes, it's so crucial. We were praying this morning, um, a group of guys, we get together and pray at eight o'clock and um, my friend Bart was praying. He's like, Lord, you've called us to be a light in this world, right? But let's not be those lights that are like blinders. You ever drive down a highway and the guy's got his, his bright lights on and he just refuses to turn them off? You know what I'm talking about? And it just makes it so difficult to navigate your lane of the highway because this guy's a moron, right? That's how some of us can be sometimes with this, with this Christianity stuff. And I think what God's calling us to do is just with care and compassion to love the world around them. The Bible tells us that it's, God loving, it's God's loving kindness, his, his kindness that draws people to repentance and to faith in him. So we, as, as hands and feet of Jesus, we show that to the world, okay? So I think we all agree that it's crucial that we do those things out outside in the world. But here's the rub. I think it's also crucial that we um, exemplify a lot of those things inside the church. Inside the church. 
that we, that we take a hard look at who we are inside the church. And let me, let me just do a little work before we get started today. Um, when, when we're talking about the church, I need you to hear this, that we're not talking about a building, although that's in our vernacular. We drive down the road and say, oh, that's the church that I was married in, or that's the church where my grandpa had his funeral, or that's the church that doesn't like those people or whatever, right? But when we're talking about the church, we're not actually talking about a structure or a building. We're talking about people. That the, the Bible uses this Greek word called ekklesia, which talks about the, which means the called out ones. So when we speak of the church, we're talking about the ones that Jesus has called to himself. When we speak of the church, we're talking about people. And so when, when Peter begins to address, I think, the church here, he's talking to Christians inside community with each other. And that's a, sometimes, let's be very frank, it's sometimes easier. This is so hard to admit. Oh, I love you. Sometimes, so it's so easier to get along with people outside the church than it is inside the church. Don't say amen. <laughs> right? So anyways, let's read in 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll uh, work through verses 8 through 22. Okay, here we go. Uh, we will put the words on the screen there. You can follow along. He says, finally, this is sort of the end of this segment of Peter's letter to all of you, not just, you know, wives and Christians and whatever, everyone in the church. Listen, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for the, for to this you were called that you may, may obtain a blessing. And then Peter quotes David here from the Psalms. He says, whoever desires to love and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and then pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to the prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Right? This is Peter quoting the Psalms, speaking to Christians. We like to think the world is filled with evil people, and Peter's reminding us that there are Christians who do evil things as well. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Now we're kind of outside the church walls here. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy or set apart. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that, that, that is in you. And yet do so... This is so true with gentleness and respect. Those are two things we need in the world. Don't you agree? Um, if you don't agree, just watch the news channels. Have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your uh, good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. A couple more verses here. He said, for Christ suffered once for sins, for righteousness, for, for right, sorry, 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but also made alive in the spirit, in which he went and he proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which, in which a few, that is eight people, were brought safely through the water. That's a mouthful. Baptism, he says, which corresponds to this thing, this ark, now saves you, but not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone back into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having all been subjected to him. That's what we were singing earlier. And he is still the king of the world. He's still the king of the universe. He's still Lord of all. Jesus is that person. He oversees it all. Everything, every spirit, every person is subjected to him. And so I just, to be very frank, I think there's a lot of things we could sort of parse out of these verses. I have a few things to say. We'll, we'll drive down the road together, see where we land up. Is that okay or end up? All right, let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for our time together. We thank you that we did come and we are willing to hear from you. God, I pray that our hearts would be uh, open to the things that you would say to us. I pray that we would be challenged by these things that we hear. I pray, Lord, that we would be led to a place of repentance where we confess the sins that we have, that we, we are now um, understanding through your spirit that we do and that we would move quickly back to where you are, to where all truth lives, to where every perfect thing emanates. Lord, we come back to you through repentance. So we thank you for all of that. God bless our time together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In, in Matthew chapter 16, I don't have the verses here for you, but I'll tell you a quick story. You, you, many of you might know it. There's this moment where Jesus has been sort of traveling throughout Galilee, performing miracles, teaching the kingdom of God coming and, and all, all of these things. And um, uh, he sits down with his disciples or his students or whatever, and he's kind of talking to them. And he says these words. He says, who, who do the people say that I am? So as we're traveling around, what, what are all the people saying about me? And, and some of them piped in. Well, some think you're, the, you're a prophet of God. Some think you're Elijah that's been reincarnated, which is crazy talk, right? right? No one gets reincarnated. That's garbage. But, and then, and then, but then, then Jesus does this thing. He says, well, then who do you say that I am? I don't, I don't necessarily care what they say, but what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter right, lovingly goes first because he just loves to talk first. He says, well, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you're right. You're exactly right. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And he goes, and flesh, it, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my, my father who is in heaven. You know these things because God is telling you. And then he says this cool little thing. He says, and upon this truth, this reality that I am the Christ, right? I am the son of the living God. I'm going to build my church on this thing and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? We love saying those things in the church. Man, the world, I don't care how dark it gets out there, but it will never win. It'll never defeat the church. And we say amen to that, right? And yet, and yet I see churches break and split and crumble all the time. And it usually happens not because things are happening outside, waging war against the church, but it happens from within the church. I have a, a friend of mine. He's a supervisor of churches in six states. And one of the things that he has to do is he oftentimes closes churches because they were once thriving 
bodies of Christ, uh, where people gathered every week to rejoice in the goodness of God and celebrate and worship and this and that, but they have dwindled down to almost a few people left. And he has to make the hard decision to say, bro, it's not even worth keeping the doors open anymore. And they close churches. He also lovingly walks through churches who are going through transitions. And by by transition, I mean this, where the the senior pastor for the past 20 years or so decides to retire. We thank God for them. Yes, go into retirement or whatever God's calling you to next. And they transition the next pastor in. And this friend of mine, he walks in those transition moments, hear me, for years with them in hopes that they don't. Um, scatter the sheep too much or make the people too upset that the church splits. Does everybody know what a church split is? Is where people get frustrated on one side and the other people get frustrated because they're frustrated. So they're over here frustrated and the whole thing just dissolves. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church, but the church. And so when Peter addresses all of the Christians, he says, guys, look at this. Let's, let's, uh, let's have something here. Let's have unity of mind, or maybe it's better translated. Let's live in harmony. Let's go back to the sixties. Everybody who remembers that I'm a child of the sixties. I was born in December of 1969. So I claim that as my decade. (laughs) Like I just slid in safe. I made it. Woo. I'm in the sixties. I love it. But he says, have, have unity of, of mind. Hear me, hear me. This does not mean that the church will never have Um, differences of opinions on things. I mean, look around you. There's some pretty crazy looking people up in here and and they come from all different social backgrounds. We have different colors of skin. We have different levels of education. All the gifts and talents that God would assemble because God does this, right? How many of you came because I invited you? None, right? God did it. I'm just saying, right? So God brings all these people together with all these gifts and talents. You can for sure expect us to have differences of opinions in things, in everything, in in important things too, like things like matters of theology and stuff. The the issue is not that we have differences of opinions. It, It matters what we do with those opinions. It matters what we do with those differences. Do we go around and do we just talk, uh, do we gather to talk about each other in those things or do we gather to talk to one another? in those things. And there's this, this forming of community um, that is necessary. And some of you, and myself would be included in this, would like to say, but you don't know how, how bad that person has hurt me. You don't know the things that that person has said about me. You don't know the gossip that they got caught up in and spread against me. You don't know what they've done. And we want to just pull the ripcord and say, I'm out and not be a part of it. And may I remind you that Jesus Christ was betrayed by one of his own disciples. That his his own disciples abandoned him in his moment of need. And what does Christ do? If you don't know the story, let me tell you. He endured with them with love, doing the will of the father to even die upon a cross for those people who betrayed him, who abandoned him and left him alone in his darkest time. Jesus is willing to go that far. And we, (laughs) we won't cross. We won't walk through a restaurant to say hello to someone because we're upset with them. He says, above all, if we could, all of you, if we could see this thing, we need unity of mind. Again, we don't have to agree on everything. 
I love this. Many, if you and I were to sit down over tacos and talk about the finer points of our belief systems and theology and stuff like that, I promise you, you and I are going to believe different things. I promise you. I'm coming at it from a different vantage point. I've learned different things than you've learned and, and this and that. But, but of the essential things, the true nature of Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he came in and died for our sins and he was raised on the third day and all those things that we will have like-mindedness in. But sometimes in these secondary issues, we just have to, to live with gentleness and peacefulness and having unity of mind and the other things that connect us instead of arguing over these finer details. Is this Okay. And some would say, but these things matter. They sure do matter to you. They do. Right? And I, I would just stand in a place where it's okay to agree to disagree on that point and move on. And maybe some of you are like, well, this ain't the church for me because of that right there. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I know this. I love Jesus. I serve Jesus. I'll teach Jesus. He's the only way. Salvation comes through him and only him, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This other stuff, raptures and tribulations and end times and the existence of hell and all of this stuff, let's talk about it, right? But to me, it's not a deal breaker if we're all in agreement on this. Did everybody just get nervous? Am I the only one that feels like I don't have any pants on right now? <laughs> <laughs> Liz, I feel very vulnerable all of a sudden. <laughs> Why? You know, what's so funny is you can't see it, and I can't either, but just beyond this wall, my wife is standing out there, and she's like, shut him down, shut him down, turn the mic off, he's, he's, he's being an idiot, don't let him talk anymore. I think it's just best if we start from this place of understanding that we're all going to disagree on some stuff. But, oh my gosh, we don't have to be, we don't have to be bullheaded about it. We don't have to be jerks about it, right? So, um, we won't get very far today. I can see that already, but. <laughs> um, have unity of mind showing sympathy and brotherly love. This is a love that even though we're not, uh, blood brothers are related by blood, but Christ has united us in such a way that it's even tighter than that. I mean, how many people feel closer to some people in the church than you do your own family? And don't raise your hand if your family's with you right now. <laughs> I, yes, that's a real thing. I, I, I see that. Show brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. This is not this idea that... Um, I don't have anything to offer. I'm just a weakling. I'm not very smart. I don't know a lot of theology. That's not the humility I think Peter has in mind. The humility he has in mind here is like, listen, I know who I am in Christ. I know the things that he's created me with. I know my, my limits and everything. And what, I, what I'm choosing to do is just live in a subservient way to those people around me. I know what I can and can't do. And so I'm just going to serve others, modeling my life after Christ who came as fully as God and can do whatever he wants, but he, he willfully submitted himself to the will of the Father to endure pain and suffering for our sake. We choose that life. We, we humbly submit to other people, even when we think they're wrong, even, right? Right? We show brotherly compassion and love for them. You know, check it. You know who's responsible for correcting their theology? He is. Right? And I believe that God will use his spirit to bring people who are in error back into correction. 
right? But I'm afraid he don't, they won't listen to us if we're just constantly yelling and angry all the time. All right, I'm moving on. So he says, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, begin to bless for this is what you were called to do, that you may also obtain a blessing. Who desires to, to love life and see good days? He says, let, his, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Um, this is a real thing that is a struggle for me because the Bible tells us that, that Satan or the devil is the father of all lies. And that whenever we find ourselves living in a place where we're telling lies or speaking deceit or manipulating people through our words, we're in fact joining the devil in his work on the earth. I want you to hear that. This isn't just you sort of getting, um, getting that guy back for being a jerk to you. This isn't, this isn't just you for feeling better about yourself or getting even or something. This is, this is us. This is you. This is, when we do those things, we are partnering with the devil himself to destroy. And Peter says, don't, don't go there. Don't let your, your tongue say those things. Don't let deceit come out of your mouth. He says, let this person, let all of us seek peace, harmony, unity. Let's seek it. Let's find out where it is. And then he says, pursue it, chase it, keep it ever in front of us at all times. That's the goal. That's to, go, to live peaceably amongst one another. This peace is just an agreement between people. This is what the harmony is all about. And it doesn't just happen Excuse me. It doesn't just happen naturally, he says. We have to pursue it. This is, this is like constantly looking down at your speedometer in your car to make sure that you haven't just sped up a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're, you know you're driving here, but every once in a while you just dip down. I'm constantly telling my daughters, check the mirrors, check the mirrors. She's 15. She doesn't know how to drive, but she thinks she can, right? Check the mirrors, check the... What, are we speeding now? Oh, is that what we're doing? So all, constantly, like, we know we're driving, but there's always this other stuff that we have to keep mindful of. And what he's saying is, he's find, find peace in that and, and pursue it. F find that space and always be on guard towards that thing. Does that make sense to you? And so um, that's what I think he would call us to, to live like in the church. And then he has a couple more words for what it looks like outside the church in verse 13. He says, there are some of those outside who would like to harm you especially if you're zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. He says, have no fear of them, those people who are trying to hurt you, nor be troubled by them. This is a, this is a very real thing for many of us because I think, I think what can happen is um, if people are abusing us for our opinions or if they are assaulting us because of the things we believe in or if they're constantly talking negative about us or and over and over and again, it's sometimes easier for us to just sort of modify our position on this particular issue or modify the things that we believe, right? So we keep, get this on, we keep getting this onslaught from people saying we're wrong. The easy thing for us to do is to just change our opinion. And Peter's saying, let's, let's not do that. <laughs> have, have no fear in those things. Don't be troubled. Trouble to the, to the place where you would change your position on this. Right? You know the truth. Let's stay there in the truth. When those people come against you from outside the church or outside in the world, then just stay there. He says, in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy. This, this speaks to that sovereignty that I was, we've already addressed. That 
that in our hearts know that, that Christ is in control, that the, the, the pain and suffering that you and I might be enduring um, is not outside of his purview. I know that wrecks some people's theology right off the, the get-go, is that they would, that it's hard for you to understand that God would not only um, allow suffering to come into your life, but, but like almost orchestrate it some days. It's just because there's, there's something that it produces inside of us that is, is beneficial to us. Um, we, as parents in the room, you know that you do things like that similarly with your children. Like, they do not like chores, okay? Show me a teenager who likes chores, and um, it's like finding a unicorn, man. It's like, <laughs> right? It just doesn't exist. And if they do like your chores, I love you. Give them more. You just, they don't have enough. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> Grind them into the ground with chores. It's good for them. Anyways, um, but we know it's, it's for their betterment that they get this, but they don't enjoy it. And so we, we know that these things happen to us. And, and when they do, it's difficult for us to understand that God is maybe allowing these things to come in. And we have to be okay. We have to be willing to endure these things again, like Christ did. And he says, and through all of these things, be prepared to make a defense. I love this part. To anyone who asks you. So you're a Christian. The world out here is beating you up a little bit. And then they say, man, why don't you freak out when this happens? Why didn't you freak out when that happened? When you lost your job and your wife this and blah, blah, blah. Your kids with that other guy and all this stuff. Why are you losing your mind over these things? And when they ask, he says, be prepared to give them a defense or make a defense in the things that, that are keeping you grounded or, or allowing you to act the way that you are. A couple things here. Um, Peter's been addressing at length over the last few weeks that we live our lives, right? Letting our actions speak louder than words, right? Uh, Christian wives, submit to your husbands. If you didn't get that last week, it's up on the podcast. It's awesome. Uh, wives, get it for your husband for Christmas. I'm just saying, right? You can get the podcast for free, wrap it up and give it to him, right? Uh, I'm just saying that there are times we have to submit and we let our actions speak louder than our words. But here Peter now gives us permission. But how does the permission come when they ask you for it? Oh, can we, can we just wait long enough for them to ask us instead of just coming in and say, let me tell you about everything that's going on in your life, right? <laughs> when you're asked, tell them. When you're asked, tell them. When you're asked, tell them. Um, even now, as the Holy Spirit has convicted me, I sometimes discount um, the attitude of my heart. And people are asking me, Jeff, how are you this? And I go, oh, you know, I just, I kind of, that's how I grew up or whatever. And it's not true. It's the work that Christ has done in my life. And I'm embarrassed to say that to them. I'm, I'm shy. I don't want them to think I'm one of those Jesus crispy people that walks around, you know, beating them over the head with a Bible. And so I just sort of backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. And, and, and I know that's wrong now. That when someone was to ask, Jeff, why do you think this way? I just tell them. When they ask me, when they're asking you, they're giving you an invitation, right? They are. Please tell me why you think the ways that you do about this stuff. And then in so doing... He says, do all of it with, with gentleness and respect. 
And everything that you do, if we could just show more gentleness and respect. I, I wrote in my notes, um, don't be that guy. <laughs> I think that was for me. I'll just put an exclamation. <laughs> right? We, we don't want to be that guy. Um, Okay. I have, I have more to say. I just only have five minutes, so I'm trying to be careful here. Let's just run through it. Is that okay? It's okay if I go um, 25 minutes over? <laughs> if I don't do this, it's going to screw up my schedule. So let's just do this. All right, verse 18. It says that Christ, speaking of Jesus, he suffered once for our sins, right? The righteous died or suffered for the unrighteous. There's a no, no, more, no more clear example of the gospel kind of right there in that sentence, right? That, that Christ suffered once for our sins. I need you to hear that part first, that Christ didn't die. He died 10 times, 12 times, five times, 100 times. No, he died once for us. And this is important because if you know your Old Testament, when there was sin in the world, the, the God's, God's requirement for sin was that people would have to um, sacrifice an animal, right? So they would do that, let's say, on Saturday, sacrifice a goat, right? And then everything's fine till Tuesday, and they go to Bob's house. Things get out of control. They sin again. I don't know what happens. You and Bob take that up. I don't know, right? And, now, and you're, you're back in a place where you're like, oh, no, i got to sacrifice another animal. So you go back to the church on Saturday or the whatever, and you sacrifice another animal. I'm just saying, it sucked to be a goat back in those days. I'm just saying. <laughs> so it's like lather, rinse, repeat with this sacrifice and stuff, right? And, and the problem was we're constantly stuck in our sins, and he says here, but, but Christ died once for us. The, the sacrifice for all sins have been addressed and dealt with on that cross. And, and because of that, God, uh, Jesus was put to death, right? But he was made alive again in the spirit. We celebrate this at Easter on the third day. He was raised from the grave. And the, and the import here, uh, important part here for us is that, that we too, by faith, are raised again out of our sins, that we too are resurrected out of this dark place in our lives, not just now, but at, after we die physically, that we too will be resurrected and given new bodies to live eternally with God. Whatever that looks like, I have opinions, I'll keep them to myself for right now, right? But, but that's, that's true for us. And he's pointing to all of this in Christ. This is the work that Christ has done. And maybe this is the important thing that, that maybe Peter's putting the exclamation point on here. Because of all the things that he just previously said, this is why we do it. Because of what Christ has done. He goes on to tell the story. And I'm going to blow through this and it will offend some of you. So I apologize. But he, he tells the story of, of, of an ark and a guy named Noah. If you know your stories in the Old Testament, there's um, wickedness was running all throughout the earth. And so God tells a, a man, Noah, hey, flood is going to come. It's going to rain. It's kind of crazy. Never seen rain before. But build this boat or this ark and I'll save you or something. I don't know. It kind of works out. And then, and then the floodwaters came. And then um, some people, eight people got on the boat with a bunch of animals and dinosaurs, I think. I'm not real sure about that part. But you know what I'm talking about, right? So anyways, um, and then the flood waters came, and then they, um, they, everyone drowned. That's a great bedtime story for your kids. God killed everybody. I love you. Good night. See you in the morning. Um, and, then, and then the waters receded, and they come out, and they were saved. 
right? The, the, the earth had been cleansed of its sin, if you will. The earth had been cleansed of the wickedness, so to speak, only to find out it came back again, but it doesn't matter. We'll talk about that later. But, but anyways, and he says that the baptism that we, that we go through when we become Christians and then we symbolically are baptized down into water and pulled back up, what he's saying, this is, that's, that baptism story um, of our lives is the story of Noah and the ark. And give me just a few minutes to unpack this a little bit. The ark is a picture or a type in the Old Testament that is Christ who is to come. Okay, let me, let me hear this. The ark is Jesus, okay? Um, Jesus saves us. The ark was God's idea, not Noah's, okay? Jesus was God's idea, not ours. You hear me, right? And, and, and the ark was the only way to be saved from the ensuing floodwaters, there was no, hey, Noah's building a boat, build your own boat. Or grab the, the uh, flotation device underneath the seat around you. <laughs> there is none of that. There's the ark or there's perish. There's salvation in this thing that God has orchestrated and designed or you, you don't have salvation. You hear this? And, and on and on it goes. It's, it's God inviting them into the ark. Noah builds the ark and he calls his family, the eight, in right? They didn't just wander in. God, they were invited in, and, and God in Christ is inviting us in to be saved. And here's the best part about all of this. And once, once they're inside the ark, it's not, the, it's not like they escaped the floodwaters. You know that, right? They didn't escape. It's not like all of a sudden they're in a different part of the world and the rain didn't come there. All of a sudden, there was no more destruction around. No, there was. It's absolutely all around them. They, they heard the voices of family and friends drowning, Okay, they they endured the same floods that everyone else did, but the the ark lifted them out of it. See, Jesus is the ark. That we endure a lot of the same things that everything everybody else is enduring, but he saves us. And this baptism picture points to all of that. He continues to say that the, the entrance to the ark was voluntary. It was free for us. And on and I could do this all day. These Old Testament pictures of who Christ is. And I think Peter tells us all of these things. Um, because it will remind us of everything that God has done for us. And I just want to pause and I just want to stop here. I, man, I, I'm sorry. I went through so much stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have paced myself a little better. Can we just stop here and consider everything that God has done for us? And in so understanding that because Christ has invited us to know him, because Christ has saved us, because, because he's willing to endure punishment for our sake, because of all of those things, who, who are we to walk around with proverbial chips on our shoulders? Who are we to, to walk around thinking we're smarter than someone else? Who are we to think, you know what I mean? Like, can, can, can I be frank? God saved you, not because you're awesome. I mean that. <laughs> he saved you because he, he saved you. It has nothing to do with you. And for us Christians to live at this place of, of status and standing above those people out there who don't, it's kind of gross. It's kind of wrong. It's not how God wants us to live our lives. 
Can we pray together? Lord, I thank you for our time. I thank you that we can study the word. I, I feel like there was so much going on today that it, maybe it feels like there's not one single thread of thought coming through all of this. And so, Lord, I just, I just give it to you and I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you help us make some semblance of meaning from all of this. I know I feel conviction of being unwilling to respond to people when they ask me for the hope that's in me. I, I receive that. Jesus, I receive that by your spirit. I thank you for that. Maybe there's people in the room who, who, who do walk around with a chip on their so shoulders. They, they do have an offense that they're unwilling to let go of. Maybe, maybe Lord, there are people who needed to hear that part, that they're not walking in gentleness and peace. They're not pursuing peace like you're asking us to. God, I confess as a pastor of a church that we sometimes, we're not the best image of your son, Jesus. And for that, God, I ask you to forgive us and that you would change us. God, help us to be people who model everything that you, that you are to us, not just outside the church, but inside the church. God, use this church to shape those 87% of the people who think we're judgmental the 85% who say we're hypocritical, God, we have the answer for that. It is truth in Jesus. It's love for others. It's compassion. It's a willingness to, to go across the aisle or across the restaurant to reconcile. It's, it's all of these things. Lord, we have the answers to that, but we in rebellion to your will choose not to some days. So we confess, Lord, that we... We don't do it right some days. And so we ask you to, to help us change. God, we love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.